Hi, and welcome to Defining Boundaries. This week, I chat with Narelle Underwood, Surveyor General of New South Wales. So grab that beverage, sit back, relax, while we have that chat. Today, my guest is Narelle Underwood. Narelle's claim to fame is the position of New South Wales Surveyor General, amongst other job titles. Not a bad feather in the cap, I must say. I'm pretty chuffed to have her on my show. Narelle was born in Liverpool, New South Wales, in southwest Sydney. At age five, Narelle had aspirations of being a fire truck. <laughs> and then, later on, an architect. Narelle has been in the surveying industry for 17 years and has won too many awards to mention in both surveying and sport. Narelle loves to spend time with her family, building Lego, reading, watching movies, playing AFL and spending time fine-tuning her Muay Thai moves. We'll see if I got that one right. Everyone's throwing me a uh, curveball with things. Um, at work, they call her Narelle, but to her friends, they call her Nell. So welcome, Nell. Thanks so much for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. It's a pleasure to be with you. Did I get your Muay Thai right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's lots of different ways to pronounce it, but yeah, for those that don't know, it's a form of kickboxing. Cool. Okay, so tell me a little bit, bit about yourself. You were born in Liverpool. Where did you grow up? Uh, so Wollondilly Shire um, and still live there. Uh, so southwest Sydney, not quite the Southern Highlands, not quite Sydney, not quite Wollongong. Nice little nestled spot in between all of them. Um, you know, married my high school sweetheart and decided we wanted to stay here to raise our kids. Yep, it's a beautiful spot out there, that's for sure. So what year did you leave school? Uh, I finished year 12 in 2001. Okay, and did you have aspirations at that time of being a surveyor? Uh, no, <laughs> I'd never even heard of surveying. <laughs> I, uh, I'd, I'd abandoned the idea of doing architecture um, because I didn't want to go to uni in Sydney. <laughs> I wanted to go to uni at Wollongong, so I looked at the course catalogue in Wollongong and found something that was kind of related. I knew I wanted to work in the built environment. Yep. So I uh, didn't want to travel into Sydney to go to uni every day, so looked at the course catalogue for Wollongong and picked civil engineering. Okay, so how long were you at Wollongong for? Uh, so I finished my first year there. Uh, beginning of the second year, I got a part-time job with a surveying firm um, and absolutely fell in love with surveying and realised that civil engineering was not for me, that I wanted to be in surveying. Yep. So I saw out um, most of my second year, so I just dropped back to a part-time course load and mm -hmm. then at the second year transferred to UNSW to study surveying. So how long did it take you to complete your degree? Uh, well, at the end of the first year of uh, surveying, um, I found out I was pregnant, so it took oh. a year off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then went back, um, so four years for surveying and then the year, uh, year and a bit for civil engineering because I had a part-time course load because I was also working. Yeah, so um, how did you get the job in surveying? How did that happen? Yeah, so um, uh, the surveying firm was next door to a civil engineering firm and my friend was working at the civil engineering firm. And when I was uh, in high school, 
I'd picked a subject for my HSC called um, Metals and Engineering, Drawing, Drafting and Design. And so one of the components, as well as learning how to do welding and woodwork and other bits of metalwork was CAD drafting. Yeah. And so when the surveying firm mentioned to the engineering firm that they were after a CAD draftsman, my friend put up, you know, said, hey, do you want a job? And at the time I was working part-time in a deli at a chain supermarket. And I'm like, anything to get out of doing that. <laughs> so linked, you know, in, in what I was studying. It wasn't exactly what I was studying at the time. But, yeah, it was much better uh, for a part-time work. And then so, um, yeah, I uh, really got into focus on land development. So DA's engineering design town planning was the focus mm -hmm. for that organization. Um, and so, yeah, lots of drafting was really what I started out doing. Yeah. Okay. Still... You what? What was that? I miss doing drafting. Oh, so I could give you some to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, um, you're a director in the public service, uh, service, uh, spatial services. Tell me a little bit about your position. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> spatial services is part of the department of customer service. Um, seems to be a little bit of an odd fit, like how to surveying fit into department of customer service, but really, you know, I, I joke and say, we called it department of customer service because you couldn't call it the department of digital transformation which is really what our focus is on. It's digital transformation to support better customer service. Yeah. Um, and we're really lucky in having a really uh, heavily engaged and invested minister, Minister Dominello, um, who, you know, loves everything that is digital and, you know, what more digital can you get in terms of um, the foundation spatial data. And obviously from a surveying perspective, one of those themes is positioning which we say is the foundation of the foundation spatial data it's the one that makes everything else align cool did you have aspirations become a manager in your in within the industry uh, I definitely had aspirations to be a manager um, I was quite lucky in that um, when I'd finished university I managed to score a role on what was then the RTS then RMS now transport for New South Wales graduate program mm -hmm. um, and so had been uh, assigned to Wollongong area um, as part of that grad program, but was really lucky to work with Mark Gordon. So those that have been in the New South Wales industry know um, Mark quite well. Um, and he sort of took me under his wing and was a really great mentor. Um, and from an early part in my career had said that I needed to decide what aspects of surveying I wanted to really specialise in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I love being out in the field and miss being out in the field, but my strengths were not the field work component. It was in organization and management. Yeah, and okay. so um, spent a lot of my time building those skills in contract management, uh, people management and being able to build that skill set and working with industry being that um, uh, relationship between government and the industry to strengthen mm. those ties. Um, and so that's where I got to, uh, you know, have a bit of a different career path than most traditional surveyors. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I um, So we sort of have something in common because that was my first job was working at the RMS as well. But I didn't stay there very long. I moved on. <laughs> um, okay, so you, we're, we've got challenging times at the moment um, mm -hmm. being in a, a pandemic. So how, how has that changed the way that you're working at the moment? 
Uh, well, for me, it means I get to work from home. So I'm, you know, talking to you from my home office, which from a personal perspective has been amazing. So uh, I love where I live, but it means I live a long way from work. Um, so I'm currently saving myself about four hours of commuting a day. Um, which is great because uh, <laughs> yeah, travelling into the CBD office takes just under two hours uh, each way. Or when I've got to travel out to our Bathurst office, it's uh, three hours each way. So, um, you know, it, from that perspective and a personal, it's been good from that work-life balance. Um, thankfully, you know, I've always had staff in multiple locations, mm-hmm. you know, um, We've got two main offices being Sydney and Bathurst, but I've also got a spattering of regional offices as well. So I've even prior to the pandemic was used to having to remotely manage people. Yeah. So that hasn't been um, too much of a challenge. I think the thing I miss most is the general discussion you have in the office, you, you know, the water cooler discussions or you overhear people and you can help sort things out before it escalates, before it becomes an issue, you miss out on that general conversation. Mm-hmm. But particularly my role, what I miss is the face-to-face conference events because that was how I got to engage with the surveyors, the people yeah. I regulate, the profession, the industry, and getting to understand what's affecting them and not. So yeah. online conferences, Zoom meetings, all of that has been great for being able to engage with people during this. Yeah. Um, but it's not the same. No. It's not it's not the coffee discussion over morning tea where you actually get to understand what the true issues are. Um, you know, you go to the online conferences and webinars, it's as a presenter presenting, getting a few questions and then leaving the real value that I get from those, um, events is that discussion that you have in the breaks. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the country surveyors is on next week, I believe. Well, for, but we'll probably be gone by the time we have uh, <laughs> launched this uh, this chat. But uh, are you planning on heading up to that? Yeah, it's going to be the first uh, face-to-face event since the beginning <laughs> of the year. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, um, It's going to be being away from home for a few days, but at the same time looking forward to it. I think there's a lot of people that are actually looking forward to it. I think it sold out pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah, it did. And that's that interesting aspect around how people um, really want to get back out and get involved. And I think we'll start to see, you know, this one's going to be a hybrid event. And so I think we will start to see that growth of that hybrid type event for those that don't want to travel or can't travel, yeah. but still want to get involved. Mm. Surveyors love a good chat, don't they? they <laughs> um, what are your thoughts about the current state of the profession? I think there's lots of things to take as a positive, um, but I think there's lots of room for improvement and growth. Um, I I worry about the lack of diversity in our profession and not just gender. Um, I know people get annoyed because I talk about gender a lot, but the age profile of our profession really does present some huge challenges for us. Yeah. Um, and not just because lots of people are going to retire. We've been saying that, you know, the whole time I've been in the industry, everyone's been talking to me about yeah. this math. So they just love what they do. So they don't have a tendency to retire, I find. They, they really do still, you know, there's lots of surveyors out there who are in their 60s and even in their 70s mm. who still love what they do and love working. I mean, love passing on that knowledge. But it's how do we attract that talent? How do we keep evolving as a profession, 
so that we don't become extinct. You know, lots of people have heard me talk, you know, the democratization of measurement. Anybody can measure a distance these days. So what makes us unique and what value do we add? And I think that surveyors in general are really bad at communicating that to their clients. Yeah. Why should they pay you as a professional surveyor to deliver that service instead of the 21-year-old kid down the road that's going to do it for half the price mm-hmm. and being able to explain to them the value we bring to that product? It's not just the product itself. It's the advice and valuing that advice that we provide. I think that's, you know, as technology has evolved, uh, we do things a lot quicker it's a lot easier to collect data and we've passed all of that saving onto the client, not valuing the, the experience and knowledge that we put into that product. Yeah. And I really think that's what surveyors need to look at is valuing that knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and charging clients appropriately for that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so that kind of brings me on to uh, my next question and looking, um, you have some posters behind you. Um, you have made a big impact in the industry Um, you are now part of get kids into survey you've promoted the industry to the educational sector the women in surveying Um, what I guess that kind of what you just said drives you Um, what else why you know why do you want to keep expanding more into these different sectors Uh, So I think one of the key uh, things that we're missing is being able to sell to kids why it's so great. So we know that kids love technology. We know that kids love playing with drones, but they don't necessarily understand that there's career pathways for that. Mm -hmm. And so being able to, you know, get kids thinking about it from a young age um, and, you know, the surveying task force has been a a real key contributor for that being out there. Um, And we've been talking to kids in year 10 and 11 and 12, but what I find half the time when I go and speak to those kids, they've already made a decision about whether they like maths or not. And, you know, maths is a pretty big part of what we do as surveyors, even though the computers and the technology do a lot of those calculations in, um, as you know, my university lecturers used to say, rubbish in equals rubbish out. So you've still got to understand them, the basic principles underneath. So, Um, you know, I think if we're leaving it until they're in those higher years that we've already lost them, they've already, you know, decided. So it's really about engaging with kids when they're still, you know, at that young age. I, um, last week I presented, uh, to, uh, um, a group of year three and four students, um, and that had come about through a connection through a friend, his daughter was in that class. Um, but they'd done a little bit about mapping, um, in, uh, Um, part of their learning last term and this term they've done some stuff about you know the connectiveness and networks that different countries have and different states have for supply of goods and services and that sort of stuff so I you know had framed the discussion around that and you know usually when I go into older students you do a presentation you get you know maybe five minutes of questions at the end of the presentation Mm -hmm. this was a 20 presentation and I had 20 minutes of engaged questions from those kids because they wanted to know everything about drones and maps. And you said North Point. Why, when you show a North Point on the map, don't you show where the South is? And, you know, questions about the hardest part of my job and the things I love about my job and, oh, my dad knows a surveyor and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they were really engaged and building on things around what they look at in terms of, oh, well, Google Maps and in-car navigation and, you know, having no idea that that actually people get paid to do that stuff. Yeah. So... That's pretty interesting. 
yeah, inspiring them from young age. And, you know, if only one of those kids goes on to do it, then it's still worth that session. Yeah, most definitely. So how do you see the profession changing in the next 10 years? I think the profession's going to have some real big challenges in terms of, uh, as I said before, that communication of the value add we have. We are going to see the growth in terms of things like BIM and digital engineering. And that is not solely the realm of surveyors, Um, you know, architects and engineers and planners and so many other professions have roles in that. So it's how do we insert ourselves into that to provide advice. Um, I think one of the big challenges for surveyors often is uh, fit for purpose. Uh, Lots of surveyors talk about everything needing to be millimetre accurate and survey accurate and being able to provide a product for the client isn't always, they're not always after millimetre accuracy. So it's being able to understand what that client needs and then guiding them to provide that product. Um, We need to stop uh, undercutting and holding professional standards high. I think that's going to be one of the the big challenges when we uh, see less numbers of people, but also um, other areas moving into what we would traditionally class as surveying. Um, You know, spatial information is growing at a phenomenal rate and there are lots more people using spatial information that don't necessarily understand all the underlying principles. So being really invested in helping to educate people and then charging for, you know, we can go into those organisations and provide advice. Don't give away all of that advice for free. So, you know, setting ourselves up as consultants to those GIS type professions and organisations as well to help them understand datum changes and stuff like that be really important as well mm. um I, I kind of figure that, that we will hit that cliff eventually of all of the registered surveyors you know who are in their late 50s early 60s will you know in the next 10 years you know have to start retiring so i think there's that real challenge thankfully we are seeing quite a number of people coming through that registration process you know we've got exams in new south wales happening um in the end of this month um few weeks um and we thought that we'd see a drop off of numbers with covid the numbers are exactly the same as march so we've got um uh, 80 something candidates coming through 16 of those if they pass the exams they're sitting for will be eligible for their certificates of competency which puts us back up at around that 30 new registered surveyors for this calendar year because we already had 15 go through yeah um as well so the numbers are encouraging they're probably not as high but I think it's you know balancing that that level of supervision as well one of the things I see that's changed a lot in my time is that um, registered surveyors often supervised one or two people out in the field whereas now the registered surveyor is often supervising five or six or maybe ten people Um, And so the drain that that puts on the registered surveyor being able to provide adequate supervision, you know, putting on my bossy hat as, you know, the regulator, um, we see that, you know, there are some really uh, easy mistakes that are not being picked up by registered surveyors. And then that's, you know, that transfers through as professional incompetence and impacts on their registration Mm. if they're not providing the supervision that the regulation requires them to. Yeah, it makes it difficult um, when when you have that one surveyor and, and, and lots of graduates that are trying to get through the process. Um, I think the mentoring side of it uh, is probably a bit lacking as well because everyone's so busy too. 
And that's one of the things that BOSS is actively looking at. We've only just put out a discussion paper today um, around the role of a supervising surveyor versus a mentoring surveyor. And so that recognition that when you're going through your registration exams, it's not just about supervision to make sure the project's right. It's, it's mentoring and guidance to understand all the other things. It's the law and the way that what we do interacts with historical as well as legal purposes as well. Um, and being able to pull all of that uh, experience and information together to make that professional assessment. Yeah. So you went to uni, you're registered. Uh, I went to TAFE. I'm not. Uh, do you think a degree is necessary in the industry to achieve success? I don't think it's needed to achieve success in surveying, being yeah. that surveying is much bigger than just registration. So I don't, I don't have, you know, some of the best surveyors that I've ever worked with are TAFE uh, graduates. Um, you know, I, within the Office of the Surveyor General, not everybody has a degree. I have quite a number of surveyors who don't have any qualifications at all or have, you know, or we've put them through a TAFE diploma. Yeah. Um, and I've got at the other end where I've got quite a number of staff who have got PhDs in surveying so mm -hmm. and everything in between. Um, I don't have a lot of registered surveyors that work in the Office of the Surveyor General because we don't do a lot of cadastral surveying. Um, a lot of what my office deals with really is the state control network and you don't have to be uh, a registered surveyor to do that work yeah so i think about the the different niches that sit within our profession one of the things i love most about surveying is there is so many different options um and so many different areas that we get to work in and you know i always say like I'm, i don't think any two days of my job you know i've next week i'll have been in the role for four years and i don't think any two days have ever been the same oh well that's pretty exciting four years i knew it was uh it had been a while since uh, you did get the position. <laughs> so throughout your career, who has had the biggest impact on you? Um, different stages of my career, different people. Um, so definitely uh, as a graduate and young registered surveyor, Mark Gordon was that guiding uh, yeah. influence and impact. Um, you know, can't underestimate the uh, impact that he had on not just my career, but so the careers of so many people who um, have come through not just RMS, but through um, uh, his work with the Institution of Surveyors New South Wales and also Bossy. Um, he's had a massive impact that, that'll, um, you know, for a whole generation of surveyors. Um, but then other people as well who I'd worked with um, in different capacities. So Lee Finlay, who's the um, current president of ISNSW, you know, we used to butt heads like anything when he was the head of the, you know, the contractor and I was the person responsible for managing the contract. But being able to have those open and honest and frank discussions um, in, in that work-related context and then taking those lessons you learn in there and back out into the industry and profession had a really uh, big influence as well. But then, you know, as you move through into different roles, there's different people. So David Job, uh, Director of Cadastral Integrity, is one of my best friends, someone who um, I had very little to do with before I stepped into the Surveyor General role, but mm -hmm. someone who I bounce my ideas off now. Um, Michelle Blissclabs from ACS is one of my um, really close friends and a great mentor from that business perspective and strategic. So I always think it's really interesting in that, 
Um, you know, there has been criticism of me being in the Surveyor General role because I don't have enough cadastral experience. Yeah. Um, in, in which I have to remind people that I'm not actually paid to mark boundaries. That's not, you know, the Surveyor General. <laughs> yes, in the time of Thomas Mitchell and John Oxley and that, the Surveyor General used to go out into the field and mark boundaries all the time, but that time has long gone and the role is really about strate strategic thinking, policy and legislation. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got enough experience in terms of uh, surveying and being out in the field and the, the legislation and policy from a practical perspective to understand when I'm introducing new regulation, what that impact's going to be. Mm. And I also have a team of really experienced registered surveyors that provide me guidance. And I can guarantee you the industry are the first people to tell me if I'm trying to do something that they don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you didn't get to do, uh, you know, as much surveying in the field as some of the other surveyors that I'm going to be talking to. Um, but along your way, what was the worst thing that probably has happened to you while you've been surveying? Um, the most heartbreaking um, experience was knocking on someone's front door when we were doing a resumption survey for RMS. Um, and then bursting into tears. They'd lived in that house. They were uh, in their late 70s. Their parents had owned the house and um, they'd been born in that house. Yeah. Um, and we were acquiring the land. Uh, they lived on a roundabout and we needed to widen the roundabout. Um, and the lady just absolutely burst into tears um, because we were there to mark where the boundary was going to be. Um, like it was understand, she was understanding and knew why it had to happen. There'd been lots of accidents at that roundabout. Um, but it's just devastating to have to take someone's house from that, that perspective. Mm. Um, the scariest uh, moment is uh, the farmer turning up on site uh, saying that we had 30 seconds to get off his property or he was going to get the shotgun out of the back <laughs> of the ute. Um, <laughs> I always remember one of my first uh, acquisition surveys with RMS getting out of the truck and nearly standing on a, uh, on a brown snake. That was bloody scary. I don't like snakes. <laughs> you, you live in an area where there is a lot of snakes. <laughs> yeah, I don't see them very often. <laughs> so what would be the funniest thing? Do you think it was one of those or...? You've got something else in mind. Um, I know I can't think of something, anything that's, you know, something that comes to mind that's too funny, to be honest, at this moment. Mine's gone blank. <laughs> that's okay. All right, so what's, um, what's the best work advice that you've ever heard? Um, or it could be the worst. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, it's not so much work advice, but I guess there's two things that I, I kind of live my life by in terms of, uh, you know, um, we spend more time at work than we do at home. Mm -hmm. So find something you love doing and get paid to do it. Um, surveying for me is that. So I'm really lucky in that aspect. Um, you know, there are shitty parts of my job. <laughs> yeah. um, the joy of being surveyor general is that you've got to deal with uh, disciplinary action for surveyors that have done the wrong thing, and that is the absolute worst part of my job. But, you know, being able to talk to students 
or um, being involved in exams and seeing candidates work their way through that process and being the person that gets to hand them their life, their registration to practice, you know, those things by far outweigh the bad. Um, I spend mo more of my time doing the good side of things. Um, you know, being able to help a state develop the spatial digital twin and the way that we're pushing the boundaries in terms of technology and how spatial data is used to guide government policy and inform the strategic direction of our state, those things are really inspiring. So, you know, from that advice perspective, you know, I get, I love my job. I happen to get paid really well to do it. <laughs> you just mentioned um, it. Then, oh, go, sorry. Oh. I was going to say, and the other part is um, something I live my life by has always been the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So, you know, having the courage and conviction to hold up for your ethical standards and call that out when there's, you know, behaviour that isn't appropriate. It's something that's hard and it's made me some enemies along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I really live my life by and that's personal life as well as work life. Yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Um, you just mentioned the digital twin. Yes. Do you want to explain a little bit about that to <laughs> listeners? Yeah. So um, in New South Wales, we have developed what we call our minimum viable product for a spatial digital twin. So a digital twin, for people that haven't heard it before, but most people will have heard the term anyway, is a, a, space, is a digital representation of the real world. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're looking at doing is creating a 4D model of all of New South Wales for the built and natural environment. Um, fourth dimension in terms of time series so that you can go back and see what the land looked like prior to development. Um, we won't be able to go all the way back in everything, um, but you know, we've got time series for aerial imagery and stuff like that, as well as you know, since 2004, we've been keeping a digital copy of every change to the cadaster. And so you can pick a date and see where the, that development's happened. Um, one of the things from a consumer perspective is, you know, 50% of new titles created each year in New South Wales are strata titles. Yeah. But those people can't actually go and look at our cadastral fabric and see where their lot exists in that cadastral fabric. So being able to visualise those into a 3D building and people being actually able to understand that their lot's here, their car park's down here, and they've also got a storage unit over there and being able to visualise that in the real world. Um, but then also bringing in new building models to understand how they will impact on the surrounding area. And if you jump into the like from a 3D perspective, you'll see the bus real time actually driving down the street or the train. Uh, <laughs> but it's being able to bring in all that data. And one of the great things about the spatial digital twin is also you can bring in your own data. So there's access to all of the data that's uh, freely available as part of our open data policy. But there's an ability to upload your data to see, you know, your proposed subdivision or any information you maybe you've got, you know, um, doing some analysis for a client or something, um, you can bring that spatial information into the model mm, and use that. Yeah, you can create story maps and send that to other people. Um, you can then export images out or maps out of it from there. So um, at the moment, we're working on doing a business case to extend that beyond our uh, MVP area, which is the Greater Sydney um, area at the moment and extending that out to all of New South Wales. Very cool. 
there's a lot of people that yeah probably um, without actually seeing that 3d model would have no idea what's going on yeah. so that's uh, pretty good technology happening there for sure okay let's move on get a little bit more you say that you uh, like to read part of part of you telling me things that you like what's the most interesting <laughs> thing that you've read this week um have you read this week <laughs> <laughs> um, I read all the time but I have to admit when I'm not reading stuff related to work it is completely separate so it's um it'll be paranormal romance type stuff like it's not related to work at all <laughs> yep, yep. okay <laughs> i get that i understand that <laughs> um you um oh okay so have you had a quote or heard someone say something um, something that people might might talk about or sprout about and you just think oh my god that is complete BS <laughs> um, yeah I I don't know I think there's a there's a, I don't know I'm trying to think of something a specific example um, I don't know I think the the interesting part for me is that um, people make judgments based on stuff without actually having a conversation with me. Yeah. I think that that's usually, um, the thing that, that annoys me the most. Um, people, um, you know, people have, um, had a go at me about being too self-centered and all about self-promotion, um, because I'm often on LinkedIn promoting work that we're doing and stuff like that, um, or doing something like this, um, which to be honest is really outside my comfort zone um I don't I don't like doing these sort of things but at the same time I'm you know I, I'm conscious that I'm critical that surveyors don't communicate enough yeah so I'm like I've got to be that example that surveyors can do it yeah um so I you know I, I but the problem with that obviously is that it opens you up to criticism um you know, there are some people out there who really don't like me. Yep. When was the most inappropriate time that you've burst out in laughter? Oh, every time my kids fall over and hurt themselves. <laughs> oh, you're one of those mums, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, it's an interesting aspect in that I find that if you laugh, they're like, oh, it didn't actually hurt. Yep, yep. I hear that one. I used to do that all the time until the one day when they actually do break something. <laughs> oh, I've had that. Mr. Seven-year-old broke his arm at school last year. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, uh, you've travelled a fair bit um, overseas yeah. as well, so not just within Australia. What's the most unusual place you've been? Oh, do I have to pick one? Uh, last year I went to Lapland for Christmas. Uh, so we were in the Arctic Circle for Christmas Day, got to go and meet Santa, play with reindeer, um, that really, you know, northern white, white Christmas. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. But you didn't get to see the northern lights, so you got to go back, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so we happened to pick 10 days where they had 100% overcast. Um, very rarely happens, so 
another trip in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were to have a dinner party, who would you invite, dead or alive? Oh, yeah. I have no idea. Um, I always suffer these type of questions. <laughs> I'm not a dinner type of person. <laughs> I'm introvert. Dinner parties are like the, um, you know, uh, it'd be like hell for me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you stand in front of heaps of people talking to them all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's, it's one of those funny things is that people, um, if people always laugh. I, I, I absolutely hate public speaking. Yeah. I, I really, um, it's not something I enjoy. It's just part of the job. Um, and I definitely feel like I've gotten better at it over the years. But it's not something that I would uh, that I do willingly. Yep, fair enough. Um, so you said that um, you married your childhood sweetheart. Mhm. So from yep, yep. From high school. So, yeah. So uh, we started dating when I was fourteen, and he was sixteen. Oh. Um, yeah. He's been by my side uh, the whole way through. Been pushing me. Uh, to it, you know, I shouldn't say pushing, being there to support me through everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually the reason why I, I aspired to be Surveyor General. So, you know. Um, That's pretty nice. Yeah. Every good Aussie story has a pub, and for me it was the Surveyor General. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he came home from work one day, he's an electrician, and he's like, oh, my God, uh, went to the best pub this afternoon I'm gonna have to take you there um and at the time I was uh survey manager for RMS at Wollongong um and we got to Sunday uh lunch and we go down to the surveyor general in he had no idea what the surveyor or who the surveyor general was he's like it's related so Narelle's gonna love it um and so lunch we were looking at all the photos on the walls and the memorabilia the plans the survey equipment that sort of stuff um, and when we were looking at the photos, he's, you know, there's obviously lots and lots of photos of yeah. men up on the wall explaining to him what the Surveyor General does. And he turns to me, he's like, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if you were the first female to have your photo up on this wall? That was the first moment in my career I went, oh, yeah, that's going to be a really cool, that's going to be my career goal one day. Cool. One yeah. day, way, way down in the future. <laughs> and now it is there. And 18 months yeah, and 18 months later, the role got advertised, and so mm. he was a body for middle club for it. What a great partner to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, um, uh, I'm extremely lucky. I, I think it's that interesting aspect for, um, you know, the examples of men who are really actively involved in their kids' lives. Like, he's the one who does a lot of the running around for the kids mm. for after school and stuff like that because um, I well pre-COVID I obviously travelled a lot for work so yeah. the main carer um, and he maintains a full-time job which I always think is quite funny in the the difference that society has in terms of standards I remember being at a conference and um, you know well-meaning surveyor going oh so what so so your husband's left work and I'm like no he works full-time why why oh well because you said he looks after the kids and I'm like yeah he's full-time dad but also full-time employee and he's like how in the world does he manage to do that I'm like I don't know like every other full-time working mum (laughs) (laughs) it's not rocket science there's plenty of us that uh, yeah have done that that's for sure (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. but yeah, we're, it, it's really about just that partnership of juggling, you know, can you yeah. do the kids yeah. this day, can you do that? Um, one of the best things about COVID has been being home to be able to do more of that running around with the kids. Yeah, that's nice, definitely. What motivates you? Oh, I love surveying. I am one of those really sad, geeky people who absolutely loves what I do. Um, so it's not sure to get up every morning and do my job. Um, I've got some friends who are like, you have to be like the most nerdy person you've ever met. And I'm like, that's fine. I just love my job. <laughs> Gotta love your job. That's for yeah. sure. What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, paranormal romance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Would you rather have a get out of jail card or a key that opens any door? A get out of jail card. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you see a puddle on the ground, do you walk over it? Uh, sorry, walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? Depends on what shoes I'm wearing, but often jump in. <laughs> yeah, I'd be the one jumping in it. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Um, I think to fly, and just from the fact of... Um, that adrenaline rush of free fall is amazing. So being able to do that over and over again would be awesome. So I take it you've jumped out of a plane before then? I have gone uh, skydiving once. Um, I did uh, the adrenaline junkie trip to uh, New Zealand and did three different bungee jumps in a day. In a day? In a day. Yeah, yeah I'm actually scared of Right, so, so that's why I think that whole adrenaline rush side, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, so, you know, into bikes and, you know, uh, fast things. You know, I drive a Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, so you're going to hate me for asking this one because it's something that you do every day. Well, not every day, but it's part of your job. If you got to name a new country, what would you call it? <laughs> oh, um, that one for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I laugh because people. The question I usually get is, "What would you like named after you?" And I'm like, "I don't care. I've got to be dead before they name something after me. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something I'm too worried about." <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I guess it's usually me just checking that names that get proposed to me meet the rules as opposed to coming up with them myself. <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably have to be something linked to surveying, mm. surveyor land. Yeah. <laughs> There'd be a few uh, gigs that would go there, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Would you we'll, make... We'll make a surveying island. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. There's two types of surveyors. There's probably one one introverted side and one extroverted side. <laughs> I'll see. I, I'll um, wave to you from the other side. <laughs> Would you make the same choices again if you had a do-over? Yes. 
yeah, um, yeah, I, I. You know, there's always things in your past that you don't like, and you wouldn't you wouldn't repeat them if you did them now. But they've made me the person I am today. So, yeah, um, the person I am today. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Well, that that's that's the the end of my you know grilling of questions and stuff. <laughs> I've just got one one more short thing to do. I've got some quick shots to fire at you. So yes, no, hot, cold, whatever it may be. We'll see how you go with these ones. Keep you on your toes. Now, All right. I couldn't have this one in here because I don't think you like either, but I'm going to ask anyway. Coffee or tea? <laughs> I don't like either, but I will drink tea. <laughs> cat or dog? A uh, cat. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Summer or winter? Summer. I know the answer to the next one. Roller coasters, love or hate? <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Three items you'd take to a desert island? Uh, books, books and more books. <laughs> Favourite song or artist? Uh, Nickelback. Favourite movie? Gone in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Favourite book? Oh, there's way too many to choose from, but um, favourite series would be the Anita Blake series by Laurel K. Hamilton. Okay. Um, oh, <laughs> I've already answered this one, but I'll ask you again. Introvert or extrovert? <laughs> Definitely an introvert. Is your glass half full or half empty? Uh, it's completely full. Nice. One thing you'd never do. It's, it's got air. Oh, what was that? Something it's it's full of air. Liquid <laughs> and air. It's always full. Um, I'd never do again. Um, go back to high school. <laughs> I say I'd love to go back to high school. Had <laughs> the best time there. If you had a warning label, what would it be? Um, it's too much. <laughs> Who knows you best? Uh, Chris, my husband. Yep. Favourite subject in school? Modern history. Favourite childhood memory? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, so, I don't know. Childhood, childhood memory is probably um, building Lego. <laughs> Oh, you are a geek. Favourite <laughs> food? Chocolate. Favourite drink? Uh, vodka and lemonade. Nice. Pet peeve? Um, people who say one thing to your face but behave differently behind your back. Mm -hmm. Win the lottery or have the perfect job? Well, I already have the perfect job. Um. <laughs> Everybody I've spoken to has said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind winning the lottery, but I'd still do my job. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> Your biggest fear? Um, something terrible happening to my kids. Mm -hmm. Favourite sport? 
AFL. You're a morning or a night person? I'm a night owl. Mm -hmm. Proudest moment? Uh, on the wall at the Surveyor General Inn. Mm -hmm. Your dream car? Got to be more than the Mustang. It's got to be more than the Mustang. <laughs> well, so if it, it wouldn't, it would be to get uh, my yeah, a GT Shelby. Um, oh, my yes. Yeah, nice. Favorite color? Blue. Apple or Android? Uh, I've got one of both. <laughs> my work phone's an Apple and my personal phone's an Android. <laughs> so the Android. Okay. On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Uh, probably only about a two or a three. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, your star sign. Scorpio. Ooh. Now, thanks so much for joining me today. I've had a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Um, any social media platforms you want to promote, worthy causes before we finish? <laughs> um, so, uh, Narelle Underwood for LinkedIn, um, New South, at New South Wales SG if you're on Twitter. Um, uh, worthy causes, I think one of the things that we need to speak more about is mental health. So, Beyond Blue is my charity of choice. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much and have a great night. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. All right, see you later. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Narelle today. If so, please like, subscribe and leave a review on my channels. I'll see you in a fortnight with my next guest, Brian Hammonds. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.